0: Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. The football,
1: the football podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Game of Thrones. Um, it's not just the two of us this week. I'm joined by a full cast, except for Phil. Davide, hi Davide, how are you doing?
2: Hello everyone. Uh, hi Jack. Uh, yeah, doing uh, good. Had a bit of... Uh, I spent some, some time in Italy for holiday and uh, watching football live. So, good time. Just uh, before starting, I want to provide my sympathy to Scozzarella and Magnanelli, two Serie A players uh, who, has been, who have been banned for... Um, uh, suspended, sorry, for the next uh, Serie A match for blasphemy on the field. Probably they said something against. Uh, well, probably I I realized uh, what Scozzarella said even watching uh, watching the match. Uh, and uh, I mean, welcome to 1816 in Italy. Now let's search for some uh, witches uh, to burn uh, and uh, do something. I mean, come on, it's we are in 2019 and still we have uh, uh, and still blasphemy is considered a crime in Italy. This is insane, it doesn't make sense, but hey, that's how life goes.
1: If only the Italian Football Authority spent as much time fighting racism as they did religious blasphemy, that would be a good... Oh yeah, of
2: course. Uh, racism would be already out of, uh, from, uh, from the Italian stadiums if they spend so much energy to, to fight racism like they do with blasphemy.
1: Thank you, Davide. And we welcome back this week gert after a few weeks of absence. Welcome back. How are you doing? Hello, everyone.
2: Hello, Jack. Yeah,
3: it's great to be back. I uh, just moved back to the Netherlands. Uh, I've been settling for two weeks, uh, working very hard on my PhD. So that was also the reason I couldn't join for a long time, uh, the show. But uh, yeah, I managed to watch some football in the last week. And I'm really excited to to talk with you about latest development, latest news, Premier League, Champions League, Euro League. Hopefully, we also have some time to cover the Dutch League. And
1: um, yeah, it's great to be back. Great. Good to have you back, Gerchan. And another regular, um, he was here last week, but he needs no introduction. He's everyone's favorite Brazilian. Eric, how are you doing, man?
0: Hi, Jack. Everyone. Yeah, all good. Football-wise, not so much, but hey that's life one week we win next week we lose
1: <laughs> that's just the way it is before before we start i have to say uh, congratulations to my local team exeter city who defeated their local rivals plymouth argyle 4-0 this weekend um a commanding performance um we won't cover it in today's podcast funnily enough but I just wanted to get my uh, congratulations to them um, and hopefully the good form continues. We're going to start today's podcast um, by focusing on the Premier League, but we're going to be focusing on the bottom half of the Premier League table and specifically who we think might be candidates for relegation. We thought this would be a good week to discuss this after Friday night's dismal 9-0 defeat of Southampton by Leicester. Um, Southampton were absolutely abject after Ryan Bertrand's red card in the 12th minute. Um, And we're just gonna go and look through some candidates for relegation. As the Premier League table is taking shape, it's important to note that there are, there is starting to be, in terms of form on the pitch and points on the table, a little bit of a gap between the teams who we could consider serious relegation candidates, and then another three or four teams who May get sucked into the relegation fight, but probably not. So we're going to start right down at the bottom. Watford, uh, without a win so far this season. They finished 11th last season, but they scored just five goals in 10 games and are rooted to the bottom of the table. Eric, what exactly is going wrong at Watford? Because the talent's clearly there, but they just haven't got started this season.
0: Yes, you would think after last season's uh, cup final, they would keep the pace on and at least be mid of a table, maybe pushing for a top eight, but it's been a disastrous start to the season. Um, difficult to know exactly what's going on there. Maybe they might pick up. In the last few seasons, Watford has been a bit of a two-stage season. Sometimes it started really good, then had relegation form for the rest of the season. Um, so let's see if they pick it up before it's too late.
1: Definitely. Also down the bottom with Watford um, in the relegation zone. We have Southampton, and well, I mean we have to start talking about the the nine nil, um, the joint record heaviest defeat in the Premier League, um, with Ipswich losing nine nil at Manchester United in 1995. I just had to get that one in there because uh, us United fans don't have much to cheer about at the moment. Southampton. It seemed, they seem to be in complete disarray. There's a lot of uncertainty over the manager, Ralph Hasenhutu. He just... It- Can't seem to get a tune out of the team at the moment. Eric, they're not scoring enough goals. They're definitely conceding too many goals. It's not looking good for them.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's weird because after Mark Hughes left, uh, Southampton improved drastically under Hassan Hutto. He's a great manager, I think. His last few jobs, he's done a great job at Leipzig and in Austria. So I expected the season now of a bit of time for it to be better. If it was up to me, I wouldn't sack him, I would keep him at the club. Uh, I think that was a one-off match, but he will definitely have to show his ability and man-management skills to get this team motivated because I don't think anyone that could come in in his place would bring anything better. Definitely not someone like Mark Hughes. David Moyes or any of these type of managers.
1: Definitely, I don't think Southampton fans will want to be seeing Mark Hughes again anytime soon they're just completely lacking goals Um, Danny Ings is the top scorer with four but um, he scored four of Southampton's I think seven goals this season so far and I think they're going to struggle with goals compared to let's say Norwich who are just below Southampton Eric, they're they're very heavily reliant on Timo Pukki um, scoring goals up front. The Finnish striker is on eight goals so far this season. But his run, his good run at the start of the season seems to have dried up. Norwich, they've had a couple of good wins, obviously, notably against Manchester City. They're they're scoring a lot of goals, but they're conceding way too many. And it, it could be a struggle for them as well.
0: Yes. Well, to be fair, nobody really expected Norwich to be, you know, fighting in the top half of the table. So, they were always expecting to be in a dogfight-relegation battle. They started off pretty well, but I think that's the problem. When you beat someone like Manchester City, you start uh, raising your expectations too much. So you can't expect Pookie to continue that form of the start of a season non-stop. And this is a time when Premier League, uh, you need to have a good bench. You need to have squad rotation, have qualities, so someone can come in if the phase is not so good. So... I think they stand a chance. They seem well-trained. So I still think they will go down, unfortunately, uh, because they enjoy the style of play. But who knows? Let's see how it goes.
1: Norwich, I think we could maybe compare Norwich with Watford and Southampton, in that they do have, if he is scoring, Pookie will get you goals. Whereas if you look at, for example, Watford, I mean, they have some talented players up front in Pereira and uh, Delafeu. Uh, but now Danny Welbeck is out injured again it's it's going to be always going to be hard down the bottom without a uh, without an out and out goal scorer that's going to get you 20 25 goals a season what do you think eric
0: yeah um i think they're decent strikers but um you cannot expect them to maintain 38 goals regular Pukie is not a young striker anymore he will have to be rotated Ings, a bit like Charlie Austin, strikers that had their physical problems in the past. So you need talent on the bench. But I think the problem is more at the defence. The defence looks pretty leaky in both these teams. So, Or they sign someone in January, it might make the difference. Or they really have to train during a week and improve a lot if they're to stay in the Premier League.
1: Definitely. The other club in the relegation dogfight, um, it's a club who lost... A great manager over the summer. Replaced him with what many people say to be not such a good manager in Steve Bruce. Newcastle United, Eric, a team close to your heart. Just two wins from nine, but two wins against Manchester United and Tottenham. You lost your arguably your best player, Iose Perez, to Leicester in the
0: summer. Do you think you've got enough to stay up? To be fair, I think Newcastle are doing better than what I expected. I thought they'd be rotting at the bottom of the table or... Still in a relegation zone. They're only one point above. Bruce has done reasonable. He seemed very lost in the first few games. But Newcastle are not getting hammered every game like I was expecting. They're showing promise. Maxime is playing really well. Joe Ellington, it's just inconsistent. Some games he's really gay. Some games he's just seems like he's not... There's concentrations out the window. So Newcastle need to find consistency. And if they can avoid relegation, that would be great. But unfortunately, in a way, I'm kind of hoping that Newcastle could be relegated because that might be the only way that Mike Ashley might leave the club or sell it cheaper. Who knows?
1: Newcastle scored seven goals so far this season. Three of them have been from defenders, which shows what a huge reliance they have on crosses into the box and set pieces. And it seems like two wins you've had against United and Spurs, it seems like if you're going to get any joy this season going forward, it's going to be maybe on the counter-attack. I know the Spurs game was a, a Joel Linton goal and then a, a backs against the wall for the rest of the game. There's a lot of pressure on Joel Linton to deliver. And as a fellow Brazilian, um, do you think he's the man to, to keep you up?
0: I think he has the talent, but um, it's kind of difficult for you to come into the Premier League and deliver straight away. How many good strikers took, you know, a season or two to settle in and things at Newcastle are not simple, that you come into play, you need time to adapt. Uh, Many people have been saying it should be played up front together with Gale. Who knows, because maybe just by himself is a bit too much. Um, So we'll have to see how it goes, how you said Uh, offensively set piece wise they're doing really well but they seem to have a lack of concentration especially in the second half of games when they um, normally concede or end up losing a game
1: for sure I think we can agree those four teams it, uh, it it looks so far that those four teams have more difficulties than the teams just directly above them would it be safe to assume that three of those four teams will go down Eric or can you see a surprise maybe Brighton or Villa coming into the mix
0: to be fair, I still think Sheffield United will be closer to the relegation zone, and I still expect Aston Villa to suffer a bit of inconsistency, because as Newcastle, they have a Brazilian striker up front, and I think it might be a bit difficult, because he had a quite hefty price tag, Wesley, and some people wanting Davis to come in, so we'll have to see how it goes, but... Basically, I would say definitely Norwich and Southampton will be there, Newcastle also. So I have to see. I think Watford will climb out of relegation zone by the end of the season. They will finish about 12th, maybe 13th.
1: Considering Watford's start to the season, Eric, that's a very big claim. So if, if you're going to give me a prediction, who, who's, who do you see going down? If you give me three teams that you think will go down.
0: Newcastle, Southampton and Norwich.
1: Okay, interesting. I'm going to say I'm going to go for Watford. Um, I think with the start they've had, it's it's going to be incredibly hard to recover from that. And I just don't see where the goals are coming from. And if you're not scoring goals and you're leaking so many at the other end, it's it's going to be tough. I agree with Southampton. I think again the lack of firepower. It's a big problem when when you're conceding so many. Twenty five goals Southampton have conceded so far this season. Obviously the nine nil maybe skews the goal difference a little bit um, against an informed Leicester side and then I think I think I'm going to go for Newcastle as well I think Norwich have more as I said Um, they've got some creative players Buendia midfield Campwell in midfield all capable of creating the chances for Timo Pukki but it's to it's going to be an interesting one Um, at the end of the end of the episode we're going to discuss um, relegation battles of the past and bring you our top 11. Moving along, Um, last week was another full program of Champions League and Europa League action. We've picked out some games to talk about for you. Um, Manchester City 5, Atalanta 1. We're not gonna talk too much about Manchester City as we've discussed them a lot. It ended up being a routine 5-1 win for, for City. But Davide Atalanta were in this game for the first half an hour and you see them doing so well in the league I believe I believe they're third in Serie A so so what's going wrong in the Champions League they seem to be they can't seem to carry the form over from the uh, Serie A into the Champions League what's going on
0: Well I
2: don't think anyone expected Atalanta to to make any point uh, in Manchester I mean they went up 1-0 with a penalty in the first half, and then uh, after conceding the the one-one, they just disappeared from the field. I think the the real problem for Atalanta wasn't this match. I I kind of expected this because uh, there was Serie A, an important Serie A match on um, on Sunday for them, and then uh, there was uh, an important Serie A match that ended for ended seven-one for them. They won seven-one against Udinese. So I mean. It's quite a result that shows the difference between uh, the, the way the team is playing in Europe and the way the team is playing in Italy. Then there's another Serie A match uh, on, uh, on Wednesday for them. So it made sense for them to, to have a, a, li- a little rest in a match they already lost. I was more surprised by the way they lost against uh, uh, Zagreb and Shakhtar. If I look at the matches, at the teams, uh, they were both beatable by Atalanta. Let's let's say, okay, the first match against Zagreb was the first Champions League match for them. They were in a very heated uh, place like Zagreb. So, okay, fine. I really don't understand how they lost, completed their mind against uh, Shakhtar, though they probably when when they arrived in manchester they probably already knew that champions league uh, path is over but still they they should play better they should try to focus more on champions league if they want to stand a chance to to gain the third place that that would allow them to go back to to go to europa league mm,
1: definitely gert uh, your team Ajax, Ajax nil, Chelsea won. Disappointing night for Ajax. A little bit controversial, though, you think. It was a good performance from Chelsea. Let's not take anything away from them. But um, I think you were disappointed in the VAR again.
3: Yeah, uh, let me first like congratulate uh, Chelsea. Uh, they played really well. I was really impressed with Chelsea. I mean, uh, over the whole match, maybe a draw was more deserved uh, result. But, I mean, looking at the second half, uh, Chelsea was be- definitely the better team. So in that sense, um, it, it, it was just like a very decent performance of, of them. And I didn't manage to create uh, much. Uh, Chelsea was dominating in the second half and also created a couple of good chances and eventually also the goal. Uh, in regards to the VAR uh, decision, yeah, it was very dubious. Uh, really difficult to decide if uh, Quincy Promise who scored a goal who, which was uh, disallowed was uh was really offside. it was really like it, it was a couple of centimeters he was off according to the picture of the, the VAR and if there's so much doubt because you also don't know you can't really exactly determine when the ball is played I don't think you can make uh, the decision with the VAR and uh, disallow the goal and uh, yeah I think I think VAR shouldn't interfere when there, there, there's like so much doubt uh, behind uh, a decision. Uh, when it's so difficult to see, especially because uh, yeah, with offside, the uh, you can only be offside when the ball is played, and it wasn't even very much clear from from this uh, the picture that, that was uh, being shown on, on the television. And I I think uh,
1: the VAR who intervened uh, made the wrong decision definitely although we 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 can't take it away from chelsea um an incredibly young team obviously frank lampard having to work with the transfer ban but he started really starting to get chelsea into into some kind of form they they're doing well in the league um, they look like maybe they can push on for a top four or at least top six spot this season in the Premier League. It was a mature performance. I mean, to go to go away to Ajax at an intimidating atmosphere, um, I think the young players showed just a lot of promise and surely good signs for Chelsea going forward, Gertrude.
3: Yes, for sure, uh, because Ajax always plays with very high pressing. They did it as well against Chelsea, but... Uh, what was interesting to see is that the young players the young defenders managed to play themselves uh managed to uh, avoid like the the high pressing managed to uh, circumvent it and actually uh, managed to play uh, a very good uh, uh, balls from the back uh, playing into midfield and uh, reaching the attack and i thought that was really decent especially also giving like uh, the high pressing ix plays uh but also given in inexperience at a uh, Champions League level. And also uh, the, the midfield of, 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 um, of Chelsea was dominating, especially in, uh, in the second half. And Ajax didn't have like a decent answer to that and, and was like uh, pushed back, which is uh, not happening often in, uh, in Amsterdam.
1: Definitely. There has been a, a lot of talk about Chelsea's midfield in the last couple of years. Under Sari. everything was a little bit slow, everything was a bit laborious. Jorginho is one player, for example, who who came in for a lot of criticism. But Davide, Jorginho, um, who you'll know well from his time at Napoli, um, he's, he's having a really good season. He's really starting to influence games and dictate the tempo of games. Um, are you surprised by how he's managed to turn it around?
2: Mm, no, not really. I mean uh, I think he had a, a positive uh, impact to Chelsea last season as well under under Sarri and more time uh, in the uh, in the league more time with uh, with the fellow players uh, just uh, would have made him better uh, he's a very intelligent player he knows uh, how to manage the uh, the ball within the pitch and how to dictate uh, the the way other players play he's a great assist man he knows how to to defend as well and how to manage the the entire midfield so i'm no i'm not really surprised that he's having a very good season
1: okay moving along the game i watched was slavia prague one barcelona two and if you look at that result in isolation you probably say Barcelona were always going to win, but this game was anything but straightforward for Barcelona. Slavia Prague came back into the game and lost to a really unfortunate own goal. Actually, Barcelona, they, they they look lost at the moment. There seems to be they're very slow in midfield. I think maybe Luis Suarez is not the player he was two or three seasons ago. But Barcelona managed to get the win, largely thanks to uh, Lionel Messi. Scored a good goal for the first goal and. Lionel Messi is Lionel Messi. But uh, Slavia Prague had more shots than Barcelona. Uh, they almost matched Barcelona for possession. And it was a really, really good and entertaining game of football. In the last five, ten minutes, uh, Slavia were were pushing forward with the crowd behind them. And Barcelona, I think Barcelona will be considering this a lucky win, actually. And th- this group, Davide, we'll, we'll get on to Inter Milan in a minute, but th- this group isn't quite as straightforward as everybody was. To- we always knew it was going to be between... Probably inter and Dortmund to finish behind Barcelona, but th- this this could go this could go all the
2: way as I said after the match between Barcelona and inter if Inter manages to make at least four points against Dortmund, then I think Barcelona would be out this is the you know i don't like predictions, but this is the only prediction I feel uh, I can do this Barcelona unless they they change the pace and they, they manage to be more consistent, this team uh, is not going to, to, to make it if, assuming Inter makes at least a draw in Dortmund, because if, if Dortmund uh, wins, uh, then it will be enough for, for Barcelona and Dortmund to draw to kick Inter out. I, I wasn't really impressed in all the matches I've seen uh, uh, from uh, Barcelona this season. I honestly saw a very lucky team, lucky and quite old and predictable. For sure. Um, obviously, we, we we're going to talk
1: about Inter Milan now. Um, Inter Milan two Borussia Dortmund 0. It was a good win. Um, from what I've heard, it wasn't the most spectacular of games. Davide, it was a an Antonio Conte classic. Wear down the opposition. Take your chances, um, but a, but a great win nonetheless. Uh, it was definitely needed. Uh, you're now level on points with Dortmund um, for second place. You were there, Davide. Tell us about it. How how did how did you find the game?
2: I was there, yeah. And uh, first of all, let me complain against uh, Italy for the second time uh, in this episode uh, because it it's really becoming a, a spectacularly bigot uh, uh, country. So, in the early afternoon, I read the news that there was an alcohol ban around San Siro. Well, most, more than around San Siro, in almost the entire Milan. The alcohol sale was banned even in Piazza Duomo, which is uh, three kilometers far from San Siro. Basically, it was banned in any place uh, uh, supporters may, may go and may find themselves uh, together. So, what everybody did, uh, including me everybody bought uh, uh, beer or wine uh, or alcohol uh, in the outskirts of Milan i was on the street came on uh, stopped at the supermarket bought a couple of beers and drank them this was done by uh, i think a few a few tens of thousand people because uh, of the amount of uh, of bottles uh, that were left uh, around the stadium uh, pay attention it, Just the sale of alcohol was uh, banned, not the consumption. So we were perfectly fine drinking beers around the stadium, as long as the the bars around the stadium didn't sell them. So (laughs) this just uh, blocked a good thing indeed that uh, blocked... uh, So the the sale of bottles, of uh, glass bottles that can be dangerous, can be used as weapons as well uh, around the stadium. Right before the match, uh, there were... Few thousands of of uh, bottles. I, I didn't count them, but they were everywhere. Instead of plastic glasses, uh, they are they cannot harm anyone except of uh, the environment, of course. But I think uh, I'd rather be stabbed with um, with with a plastic glass rather than uh, uh, a glass bottle. Talking about the match, uh, uh, yeah, as you said. Ah, finally. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, I had. That's right. Uh, Hey, I am allowed to rant as well, not just you. Uh, Of
1: course, of course, go ahead, go ahead, talk to us about the game.
2: So, uh, talking about the game, uh, yeah, as you said, it was a contest classic, but it wasn't a Favre classic. Uh, Probably the absences of Alcacer, uh, Royce and Schmelzer convinced him to play uh, a quite unusual 3-5-2, mirroring Inter's way of playing. And I wasn't convinced uh, since the beginning of this way of uh, playing because it, it became too easy for Brozovic uh, and uh, Barella in the middle to to dictate the, play, the game. Inter scored uh, quite uh, easily with the first shot on goal of the match. Uh, uh, again, there was a short VAR check, uh, but the goal was perfectly fine. It wasn't absolutely offside by Lautaro Martinez. Yeah, the match was almost over there because... I only remember one uh, big save by Handanovic uh, on uh, on Sancho by the end of the first half, but that's it. In the second half, uh, the most interesting uh, story is uh, regarding uh, Sebastiano Esposito, 17 years old. He had his debut uh, in uh, in Champions League for around 30 minutes after replacing uh, Lukaku, and uh, he earned the penalty against uh, uh, with a foul from. Uh, the very struggling uh, Mats Hummels, I've never seen him playing so bad, probably just because of the, the change of uh, defensive play by, by the team. Martinez missed the, pe- the chance to convert the penalty, but Inter managed to secure the, the result with Candreva's goal uh, uh, right at the end of the match. So anything can happen in Dortmund. I don't expect uh, Borussia to play one so bad two with this uh way of get of playing again i expect them to move back to their original uh, four three two one four three two one and uh be definitely more consistent
1: and davide at the halfway point of the group um this is one of the closer groups actually uh barcelona on seven points um inter and dortmund both on four slavia prague not out of it yet they've only got one point but their performances probably deserve more than that totally If we're going to assume that Barcelona are going to go through, again, there's not much reason to assume, but you just think Barcelona being Barcelona and having Lionel Messi in the side, they will get through. One of Inter and Dortmund are most probably going to go through with them, and I know you don't like predictions, but what do you think?
2: If we assume Barcelona will go through, then we have to assume that Dortmund will uh, win against Inter. So I would say Dortmund. I'm not entirely. I'm not so sure. But if we, if we want to assume Barcelona will uh, will go through, then I would say Dortmund. Wow,
1: pessimistic Inter Milan fan here.
2: Um. Well, I I told you. I think uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Definitely, uh, the match between uh, Dortmund and Inter in uh, in a couple of weeks uh, will determine uh, what's going to happen. Because if if Dortmund wins, uh, then there are no chances for almost no chances for inter to to qualify so i I don't expect anything else if inter wins or draws then dortmund desperately has to win in barcelona and they can do it they they cannot do it if they play the way they played against inter no but they can do it if they play the the way they played against barcelona in the first match of the of this champions league Definitely.
1: Um, Moving along to Group E now. Liverpool beat Genk 4-1. But I just want to touch on Red Bull Salzburg against Napoli. Um, Red Bull Salzburg have been an incredibly fun team to watch this year. Uh, They score goals. They concede goals. Obviously, the the story of the emergence of Haaland, um, who's on 22 goals this season already for Red Bull Salzburg. Davide, this was a great game to watch. Um, Red Bull 2, Napoli 3. Um, Red Bull Salzburg are surprising everybody. I mean, they won they've they've won 6-2 against uh, against Genk. Um, they lost narrowly 4-3 at Anfield, putting in a really good show. And uh, they lost narrowly at home to Napoli, scoring goals, conceding goals. Very fun team to watch.
2: Yeah, very fun team to watch. Not very good for the heart uh, of uh, their supporters because uh, they would they are constantly in, uh, in tension. But yeah, they definitely have uh, a lot of talent. they definitely have a lot of talent uh, and a very good and spectacular offensive football. I'm quite surprised by by Napoli though because uh, seeing the the talent they have in every part of the of the pitch, uh, you would expect them to to win more consistently to to have uh, uh, to, to be m- more consistent in their way of playing, uh, they seem sometimes to be a bit uh, a bit lost or a bit confused. And I think uh, Ancelotti, for almost the first time in uh, his career, is struggling to find the balance between uh, so many offensive good players. Just uh, to have a short list uh, of the main strikers uh, they have, Napoli has Mertens, Lozano, Insigne, Milik, Llorente, Callejon, Younes uh, and Elmas. These are eight players uh, for two or three shirts, uh, and obviously they cannot play all together, and uh, they deserve uh, minutes to to be in the right form, to know how to to perform and uh, to play with uh, the other players. Uh, it's not a surprise uh, now that Mertens uh, is that Mertens and Milik are currently their, their best, their top strikers both in Champions League and in Serie A because uh, they are the players uh, who have played for more time uh, together and they know better each other. Lozano is currently struggling. He's a good player, but he doesn't have, he didn't have enough minutes to, to know the players, to know the way the team is playing so i think for the first time in his career Ancelotti is uh, quite struggling despite uh, having still quite good results uh, in uh, in Champions League and decent results in Serie A
1: indeed this group is a really interesting one uh, Napoli top on seven points Liverpool just behind on six that Liverpool Napoli clash and in, in a few weeks at Anfield will be uh, definitely be crucial to the outcome of this group and we can't although they've only got three points we can't discount Red Bull Salzburg from that race of course before the season started, we did a Champions League prediction round, and I said Group G would be uh, indeed be the most entertaining group, and so it's proven to be. Everybody is beating everybody in this group. Um, Leipzig top on six points, Zenit and Lyon both on four, and Benfica on three. Um, so from a neutral perspective, if you would like to keep tabs on a group, a particular group in this Champions League group phase, Group G is where it's out. I think it's going to be drama until the end, RB Leipzig are probably the strongest overall in the group but they had a disappointing home defeat to Lyon and Lyon now just lost 2-1 to Benfica and it's just a completely topsy-turvy anybody can beat anybody group which unfortunately isn't the norm anymore in the Champions League you usually have two teams who qualify easily but this group is going to go down to the wire for sure and just finally on the Champions League um Gertchen, I didn't ask for your prediction. Um, Chelsea are top at the moment with Ajax in second, both on six points. Valencia just behind on four though. Do you think Ajax have got enough to hold off Valencia's challenge in the last three games? I think it's going to be
3: really tough. Uh, I'm not sure. Like, I will be very happy if Ajax managed to get a draw against Chelsea in London. And then I think it's possible that Ajax will manage to hold off Valencia also because we are playing against Valencia at home. Last game will be against uh, Lille away, but uh, Lille will probably be already out of the Champions League at that point, so they might not uh, put a full energy into that game. But uh, it will be challenging also, to be honest. Like Ajax has been quite lucky in the games against uh, Lille and Valencia. Uh, because uh, both teams, Valencia and uh, Lille, managed to create a lot of chances against Ajax, and Ajax uh, was scoring quite easily in these games, but the next time it could easily uh, go the other way, like against Chelsea. So uh, I think it will be like a very tough, tough matches, um, the next three matches. And, yeah, I think Ajax also, because they are playing at home, which is uh, in Amsterdam a huge advantage, as, as you said, because there's like a very good crowd uh, behind the team, I think there will be enough to hold off uh, Valencia in, in Amsterdam. And hopefully, like, Lille has nothing to play for when Ajax is playing against them, which will be make it more easily for, uh, for Ajax to, to win against Lille. But uh, yeah, I think a draw in, in, in London will be really necessary in order to have at least uh, the same amount of points as Valencia when we're going into the game uh, in Amsterdam. And then Ajax, uh, f- I think, will uh, we'll manage to, to end second in the group because I think Chelsea is by far the best team in this group
1: and will probably manage to come up at, to- at the top of the, of the, of the group. We'll see what happens. Um, moving on to the Europa League quickly now. Celtic two, Lazio one was a standout result from this Europa League um, from this Europa League week. Uh, Davide, Celtic again formidable at home, but unfortunately this game was uh, marred by more um, disruption from Lazio fans conducting themselves in an awful manner before the game with fascist chants and Nazi salutes um, it's not what you want to see and you can have another rant about Italian football if you want
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely fascism uh, in the, between Italian supporters uh, is something that I find really really annoying it's something that unfortunately it's part of Italian history that we cannot um, forget that, but we should be, we are, again, we are in 2019, we should be able to, to realize what is good and what is wrong. Fascism is definitely wrong. Fascism just uh, killed uh, innocent people uh, for, for, the, for, for the sake of uh, a crazy man and cannot be justified. On the other hand, uh, although some of the chants and some of the banners uh, Celtic fans uh, made, uh, I have to say from an Italian point of view I didn't really like the, the Brigate Verdi uh, banner because uh, this just reminded of uh, Brigate Rosse which was uh, a communist terrorist uh, group, uh, a terrorist group uh, that Killed uh, countless people, including uh, the Italian president Aldo Moro in the 70s. Uh, I-, I think this goes uh, on the same side of uh, being fascist. You can, you can of course uh, criticize fascists. You can joke about them uh, with uh, with the Mussolini, uh, with a hanging Mussolini banner. Yeah, okay, that is fine. But stop there. There should be. A moment in which uh, you realize what you are doing and what what that banner represented for also a lot of innocent Italian people who lost their lives or lost uh, their relatives uh, because of a terrorist group.
1: Definitely, um, we, we just have to say congratulations to Celtic on a great win, um, they're a formidable team at home, top of their Europa League group uh, on seven points in front of Cluj, Lazio on three points and a uh, Ren at the bottom on one point. Celtic have a real chance of getting out of the group this year. They've always been a very strong team at home as we've seen in the last few years with wins over the likes of Barcelona and Manchester United um, and a famous 3-3 draw with Man City I think in Pep Guardiola's first season. We'll see how that goes but we wish uh, Celtic all the best. They, they have a real chance of getting out of the group for sure. Another game, Eric. I I watched the um, Arsenal game against, I can't pronounce this in Portuguese, Vitoria Guimarães. Yeah, Vitoria Guimarães. Guimarães, okay. They needed uh, two Nicolas Pepe free kicks to come back and win the game after being 2-1 down. And it was, this game was a kind of symbol of Arsenal season so far. Like one minute they're up, one minute they're down. The fans are losing patience with Emery now. Although they are going quite well in the Europa League. They just seem to be in a little bit of disarray.
0: Yeah, I think Arsenal basically have continued on from the final game of last season when they lost 4-1 to Chelsea in Europa League, they're just up and down, there are players that are coming through, I kind of like what Emery's trying to do and, you know, f- slowly phase out Ozil and players that don't seem like they really want to be there or can't be bothered putting in a shift. But uh, things are not working out so well for him. He, the team just reminds a bit more of Wenger in the bad years. So, you know, I think supporters are starting to notice that a problem wasn't just Wenger, but it's just a lack of planning and investment. So, yeah, Pepe seems a good, a bright spark. Let's see if he settles down soon and can contribute more to the Arsenal season.
1: For sure. Um, one final word on the Europa League. Uh, gert Feyenoord, bottom of their group containing Young Boys, Rangers and Porto. Um, they've just lost their manager, Yap Stam. What are your thoughts on their situation?
3: Yeah, they're in a very dire uh, situation. Uh, it's it's just like a lack of investment for a couple of years. Uh, they managed to win the Champions League in 2017, but uh, afterwards, um, they all, all go downhill uh, at Feyenoord. Uh, that's just because the... The club is, is lacking the financial means in order to buy the players and to keep their best players, which is uh, has been really problematic. At the same time, there's a lot of pressure from uh, the fans uh, on the team to uh, perform. There's been a lot of pressure on uh, pressure on the direction as well of, of Feyenoord. So uh, that already has caused a lot of casualties. So at the moment, the, the club seems to be in real uh, disarray. So uh, the technical director, he stepped down in the summer and also the general director of Feyenoord stepped down in summer after they had like a pretty bad season. Um, So Jaap Stamm, he signed actually before the uh, technical director and the uh, general director uh, resigned, came to Feyenoord and um, uh, the directorship uh, structure was not very clear at the the club and there are a lot of interim uh, directors at the moment which uh, didn't approve the signing of Jaap At the same time, there were, were, uh, there were problems with signing uh, players because uh, they didn't have like, the directors yet appointed who, give, who could give uh, approval to uh, new signings. So all, most of the signings have been last minute. And uh, yeah, the, the signings they made this season um, haven't been very uh, impressive. Uh, a lot of like very cheap players, a lot of players who didn't play for a long time like for example uh, Luciano uh, Narsing and uh, they also don't have like um, enough quality youth players to uh, compensate and also because they had a lot of injuries in the first couple of weeks it has been just like a um, really difficult uh, for Japstam to put uh, the team together and especially with the pressure uh, from from the supporters of Feyenoord. It's just a hell of a job and uh, yeah, uh, Japstam didn't survive. He's also not a very experienced manager. His results, I was actually really uh, surprised that Feyenoord appointed him because uh, I didn't think he was very impressive at Reading although he had like first good se- first season uh, his first season at Reading was very good the, the second season wasn't very impressive uh, also at Peck Swaller, where he was a manager in Netherlands he didn't perform uh, that well so I don't know on what basis he was appointed at Feyenoord uh, and also he isn't a very experienced uh, manager And, yeah, it is not surprising for me that he didn't manage to turn things around.
1: We'll have to see what happens there. And uh, we're at the halfway point now of the Champions League and the Europa League. um, And we'll have another roundup at the end of the group stage, I'm sure. Moving a bit further afield now, it has been the MLS Cup playoffs um, since last week. As I explained to you last time, it's a very complicated system involving a first preliminary round of playoffs and uh, then the semi-finals, um, which we're going to talk about. Um, In the first preliminary round of playoffs, uh, 24 goals in six games, it was a fantastic spectacle. Not so much for defensive coaches, but for neutral fans like myself, it was a, a great spectacle. Two, four, three thrillers Um, In the preliminary round of playoffs between uh, Seattle and FC Dallas, Philadelphia and New York Red Bulls, two absolutely great games, topsy-turvy, very, very bad defending and some very good performances as well, Um, notably from Seattle, who I picked as a dark horse in my MLS preview and who will play the conference final this week. It was a, a sad departure for Wayne Rooney, whose team DC United lost 5-1 in uh, the preliminary round to Toronto. It's been a good two years for for Rooney in Washington. He's had a, a successful time there, contributing goals and assists, but it wasn't to be. And we moved on into the conference semifinals um, this weekend. New York City one, Toronto two. Um, a fantastic game of football, quite high quality relatively high quality two great goals from alejandro posuelo who is uh whos who has been named in the mls star 11 for this year all-star 11 two good goals a good performance from him and toronto move into the conference final this week against at atalanta toronto obviously beating one of the favorites new york city who won the conference Um, Atalanta, they were a bit more workmanlike against uh, Philadelphia. 2-0 at home. Wasn't a particularly fluid performance from Frank De team, but they got the job done. 2-0 at home to Philadelphia. Um, Seattle, very, very convincing again at home against Real Salt Lake. Real Salt Lake, probably the weakest team of the playoffs, Um, but Seattle really, really comfortable with uh, star man Jordan Morris, who um, is a local Seattle player. Who is doing really well for them and has done well for them all season. But the highlight of the semi-finals is definitely El Tráfico, the LA Derby, LAFC five, LA Galaxy three. This game, if you haven't seen the highlights, just wow. Um, historically, they've played each other four times now, and I think we've had a three-three, a three-two, a four-three, and it's just a crazy, crazy game. LA Galaxy. Um, with Zlatan Ibrahimovic, seemed to raise their game against their more talented neighbours LAFC, and LAFC took an early lead 2-0 just before half time. Christian Christian Pavon equalised for LA Galaxy to make it 2-1, um, and again the second half topsy-turvy, awful defending, but in the end the the firepower of LAFC prevailed. Carlos Vela justifiably MVP this year, firing. LA Galaxy into the conference final where they'll play against Seattle. Absolutely fantastic from him and from, from the LAFC team um, in general this season. Definitely the favorites for the MLS Cup, I think. A sad departure for Zlatan Ibrahimovic and he didn't cover himself In glory after the press conference as well saying that Vela would not be famous without him Um, I know we have to come to expect that from Zlatan but I think his comments were a little bit disrespectful but LAFC had the last laugh as I said this week they'll be in the Western Conference final against Seattle and in the Eastern Conference final we'll have Toronto against Atalanta and I'll report more on that um, as the games are played moving along now um, to South America, Copa Libertadores. Um, we know the finalists now: Eric, Grêmio against Flamengo. It was a creditable 1-1 draw in the first leg, but in the second leg, uh, a smashing 5-0 win for Flamengo. Not smashing from your perspective, but a great performance from them. You predicted that it was going to be a riot in the second leg. Um, 5-0. Just tell me about the tell me about the two games, Eric.
0: Well, second game was absolutely grotesque. You know, seeing that 5 0 capitulation, Grêmio looked like a bunch of schoolboys defending. They didn't know how to defend set pieces. Two goals were exactly the same. So yeah, it was really poor from Grêmio. I expected Flamengo to go through to the final. They have been in excellent form. The players are just flying under Jorge Jesus. And it's going to be an interesting final, now looking in a more neutral way. River Plate with Gallardo's experience in a team that's very well balanced, and Flamengo with the new stars and the first uh, foreign manager with Flamengo to get them to the final of Libertadores, and fixing all the points that Flamengo had. The previous manager, Abel Braga, was playing Gabriel Barbosa out in the wing. Arascaeta, too, he didn't find a position. Jesus came in and found the right position. Now Barbosa's scoring goals for fun. Arascaeta, too, is back to his top form that earned him a transfer to Flamengo. And what can I say? Um, It was a really good investment by Flamengo. They bought Gerson in the middle of the year for 10 million, Pablo Mari for one and a half million pounds, Rafinha and Felipe Luis are free transfers, so actually, they didn't spend that much. And with uh, the sales of uh, Paqueta, Vinicius Jr., they have made, in fact, a considerable amount of money, and it's perfect signings. Um, It it was kind of expected that Flamengo would improve over the years. About four or five years ago with Ernest & Young, they started redoing their accounting. Uh, They saw what was being spent in the wrong places. They redid tax, all manner of things, contracts, and they had a good financial plan. And this is giving Flamengo now the liberty of signing players that were playing in Europe and actually looking forward and being able to sign even more players down the line. So it will be an interesting clash of River that struggle with not so much money, but always have the talent of Argentina against Flamengo that are the new rich kids in town.
1: For sure. Um, In the other semi-final, the Super Classico um, is a bit more of a low-key affair if if the Super Classico can ever be low-key than last season's two-legged final of the Libertadores. River Plate comfortably won um, at El Monumental, their home stadium. 2-0 in the first leg. Um, It was quite a dominant performance, actually. Although Boca had a only They only had a few chances, but Boca really should have scored in that game, but... Uh, River thanks to a penalty and a good goal from Ignacio Fernandez, took the first leg 2-0 Boca getting a red card in the last minute of that game as well Um, in the second leg however at La Bombonera Bocca absolutely laid siege to Rivers Goal. The how they didn't score beforehand, before they did, they scored in the 80th minute, is is beyond me. They they must I think they had 23 shots altogether, something like that. But River was still dangerous. They, they were happy to sit back and counter 2-0 no up. Obviously, you can. But Boca got a goal with the last in the last 10 minutes and laid siege to Rivers Goal, but they could not find the second goal. And um, for the second year running, eliminated by their fierce rivals and that one is definitely going to hurt the final um obviously Flamengo against river um it's going to be an interesting one um i'm sure me
0: and you will go to the pub to watch that one eric hopefully um let's see if any channel here in the uk will show it but if not we always have our other means to watch it
1: (laughs) and we 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 are not advertising other means of uh Watching football here, we wouldn't do that. We are law-abiding citizens on this podcast.
0: Definitely, I was speaking about the radio, of course.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Eric, Eric just meant, Eric just meant uh, uh, have a trip to South America.
1: Of course, because we all have a few few thousand pounds to throw at that.
0: Absolutely,
1: of course. <laughs> Finally, tonight, as always, we're going to bring you our top eleven, and this week in line with our main topic, which was the Premier League relegation fight. We're gonna be talking about our top 11 relegation battles. Um, There have been some memorable clashes, final day climaxes in the last few years. Um, And I'm gonna start us off with uh, West Ham and Sheffield United in 2006, 2007. And now this one was controversial for all kinds of reasons. West Ham on the last day needed to beat Manchester United, already champions at Old Trafford to have any chance. And West Ham duly won 1-0 thanks to a goal from Carlos Tevez. And the problem was that West Ham, in January of that year, had signed Carlos Tevez and Javier Mascherano from, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric Corinthians in Brazil. That is correct. That is correct. Um, They signed Tevez and Mascherano. Sheffield United were not happy about this because... They said uh, West Ham should have been dot points due to irregularities with the transfers. Very complicated scenario of third-party ownership, as there always is with South American players. And Sheffield United felt that West Ham had an unfair advantage. Uh, Sheffield were relegated. Uh, West Ham obviously stayed up with that last-day victory. But West Ham were not dot points. Uh, They were just fined £5.5 million for the irregularities in the transfer. And I think it's something... Um, Obviously, Sheffield United tried to take legal action but failed, but it's something that lives with Sheffield United fans to this day. Wow, what can you say about that one? The second one I've chosen is uh, West Brom, and this is absolutely incredible. 2004-2005, the first team ever. It's been done since by Leicester, I know, in 2014-15, as Eric will talk about later. West Brom, 2004-2005, the first team to stay up in the Premier League after being bottom on uh, Christmas Day. The final day was absolutely epic. West Brom needed to beat Portsmouth, and they beat them 2-0. They had to hope that Crystal Palace didn't win at Charlton, and uh, Charlton equalised in the last two minutes to send Crystal Palace down. Norwich, they had to also hope that Norwich didn't beat Fulham, and, uh, yes, uh, Norwich lost 6-0 at Fulham on the last day, and they went down as well, and miraculously, West Brom managed to stay up prompting huge scenes of ecstasy at the Hawthorns with a pitch invasion. And it's, you just couldn't believe it. You couldn't believe that a team that looked dead, dead and buried at Christmas, managed to, to stay up, to stay in the Premier League, if only for another season. Davide, talk to us about uh, Regina in 2006, 2007. Why was this one interesting?
2: This was probably the most epic uh, save can remember myself at the beginning of the the championship uh, the um, calciopoli just hit italian football and uh, regina was penalized uh, by a deduction of 11 points so they started the season minus 11 they didn't have uh, any spectacular player they just had a, a very old and a the end of uh, of the career, uh, Nicola Moruso, former striker of Juventus and Fiorentina, and uh, Rolando Bianchi, who's uh, always been uh, a decent striker for for Atalanta. However, the Man City scum, boo, boo. I was I was about to talk about that later, but <laughs> indeed he went to to Man City after scoring 18 goals in that season, contributing uh, in a very important. Uh, way to the, uh, the complexity of 51 points uh, uh, scored by Regina, which uh, gave them uh, the, uh, a really confident 14th place uh, on the table. This, do, this was the main, uh, probably the main success of uh, Walter Mazzari's career, which we, we remember for being the coach of Napoli, Inter and Watford in, um, in the Premier League. So this was, uh, although they they didn't get saved in the the, the final match, uh, their entire campaign was absolutely surprising.
1: For sure, it definitely sounds like it. Um, Crotone, 2016-2017.
2: Well, this was another huge surprise. Crotone had the lowest uh, salaries in Italy. Just uh, they paid... uh, Thirteen million euros for the entire for the entire squad, which is probably what Aguero, Aguero's salary that season. Something around that. Uh, they didn't start the season uh, extremely well. In fact, on Christmas Day at the end of um, of the the first part of the season, they only had nine points uh, in eighteen matches. They just did a, a miraculous uh, second part of the season. They made uh, seven consecutive uh, valid results between uh, victories and and uh, draws, and only got uh, defeated at the the thirty seventh match uh, by Juventus, uh, who already won the league. But complexively, they totalized twenty points in the last nine uh, matches, in the final nine matches, and uh, saved. Uh, at the at the final uh, league day,
1: very good. Um, and finally, from you, David, A, the Parma Bologna playoff of two thousand and four, two thousand
2: and five. This was uh, in- an incredible season. This was something uh, incredible because uh, it was probably the most even Serie A championship I remember for for the relegation battle. Just uh, consider this: Bologna, Parma, and Fiorentina arrived to the to the playoff uh, with 42 points then fiorentina was uh, safe because of the better results uh, had uh, between uh, the three matches 42 points with 42 points uh, there was a relegation part messina arrived seventh uh, with 48 nine teams uh, were in two points between 42 and 44 points so this is Just a recap to understand how even was this Serie A. And it ended up with a derby in a playoff, because Parma and Bologna are, I think, 45-50 kilometres far away. So this is always being considered a derby. And in two matches, uh, uh, Bologna won the first one in Parma with a goal uh, from uh, Iglitare. But Parma managed to win 2-0 after seven days in Bologna, uh, having the, the permanency in Serie A.
1: Okay, thank you Davide. Gert-Chan, um, let's talk about Sparta Rotterdam in 2001-2002, what happened there?
3: Yeah, so uh, Sparta Rotterdam is the oldest professional football club in the Netherlands. Uh, it was founded in 1888 and it has won the championship in the Netherlands six times, five times in the 1910s and one time in 1959. So, uh, Sparta is famous for its uh, high-quality youth academy, uh, which has featured the likes of uh, Jorginho Wijnaldum, are you listening, Philip? Uh, Memphis Depay, and also uh, Winston Bogarde and Anwar El Agassi. So, in 2001-2002, Sparta was, was managed by a really famous manager, uh, Frank Rijkaard, who uh, joined the club after his spell at the Dutch uh, national team. And he succeeded another famous um, Dutch manager, uh, Willem van Hanegem, who uh, has also been one of the best players in the 1970s, uh, who narrowly saved Sparta a year earlier from relegation. So until 2001-2002, Sparta was one of the four teams together with Feyenoord, PSV and Ajax, which had never relegated from uh, the uh, Premier Division in the Netherlands. Um, So, in order to improve the squad uh, from the previous year, um, Frank Rijkaard was allowed to do some big signings uh, such as Aaron Winter, Reggie Blinker and Tom Sear to put some uh, more experience into this very young team he had. However, the season went dreadful for Sparta and it only scored 26 goals in 34 matches and conceded 75 goals. So, uh Sparta finished uh the table at uh the 17th place and it was it had to play the uh playoff games uh for um promotion and relegation. Uh and Sparta managed to uh win uh, the first game, drew the second and managed to win the third game. So they thought they were going to uh stay up, but eventually they lost their last three games and after which its first uh, relegation to the Dutch Championship uh, was sealed. And uh, Sparta never fully recovered from this. Uh, And since uh, 2001-2002 they have been floating between the Dutch Premier Division and the Dutch Championship. Meanwhile, Frank Rijkaard started a new spell at Barcelona, at where he managed to win the Primera División uh, twice, and he also managed uh,
1: to win the Champions League. Thank you, Gerchand. Uh, what about the tw- FC Twenty relegation in 2017-2018? What was what was special about that one? Uh, special was
3: about that, that one was that Twente had managed to win the championship in 2010. So like only uh, seven years uh, before that very dreadful season in 2017 and 2018. But the problem was that the sky was the limit in Enschede, where Twente is based. And the uh, club that some really, um big signings uh, since 2010 onwards but it didn't have the uh, revenues in order to uh, compensate uh, for that and uh, after that it didn't manage to scale back its uh, expenses fast enough and therefore it was uh, financially uh, struggling and despite some changes at the leadership's level the uh, financial problems persisted and also affected the performances of the club so in the season of 2017-2018 Uh, the club only managed to win five of the uh, 34 um, games. And uh, despite second two managers, uh, they relegated after a 5-0 loss against Vitesse. And this was for the first
1: time since uh, 1983. Okay, and your final one, Gachan? I can't remember which one it was. Um... Yeah,
3: it was in uh, 2015, relegation of Cercle uh, Brugge in the uh, Belgian uh, Premier League. So uh, they relegated in the last game of the season after losing against KV Mechelen. So what was interesting about this game was that they were leading 2-0 in the 89th minute. Their opponent KV Mechelen managed to score three goals in four minutes time. And one of the goals was clearly offside. And there have been a lot of speculation that uh, there was some match fixing around this game. Also giving the f- uh, scandals with match fixing in, in Belgium over the last uh, couple of years. So, but yeah, despite leading uh, in the 89 minutes uh, with 2-0, Cercle uh, uh, Brugge managed still to lose the game with 2-3. Uh, and they relegated that uh, season.
1: That is absolutely incredible. <laughs> how can you be how can you lose the game? 2 0 at 89 minutes. Just uh three more to go, um three more to go now. Eric, your turn. Wigan 2011 2012 I think we all remember this one.
0: Yeah, um well we certainly remembered and failed because of our Liverpool 2 1 loss to Wigan. And that changed the whole season around. Uh that took them on to beat Manchester United and Arsenal, and they left the bottom of the, seas, of the table. The next season, we would remember the victory of FA Cup, which was a pretty memorable turn of events.
1: Definitely. Um, what about Leicester,
0: 2014-2015? Another one of your picks. Absolutely. Uh, well, then Pearson got Leicester, their bottom of the table in March. Nobody really wasn't expecting much from them. They Just turned everything around. Uh, Lost only to Chelsea. Uh, They finished, I think, in 14th, almost six points clear of the relegation zone. Then, for some reason, Pearson left the club. It was very controversial at the time. Uh, Ranieri came to Leicester, leaving Greece after a dismal spell with them. Everyone thought that was going to throw Leicester City back into relegation zone that was one of the most remarkable turnarounds in Premier League history.
1: Hey man, we play Champions League. Dilly ding, dilly dong.
0: <laughs> Sunderland, 2013-2014 to finish us off, Eric. Yes, uh, well, Sunderland were with Di Kanya, uh ill-tempered to say the least. He left Sunderland and Poyer came in. They're bottom of the table, too, uh, were completely lost, doomed for relegation. But with Poyer they made the League Cup final, uh, beating Chelsea and United. Uh, they saved the season, too, finished quite a few points clear of relegation zone. Uh, unfortunately, beat Newcastle twice that season. But fortunately, they used up all their luck in those seasons, and now they're down in league one (laughs) you just you just had to get
1: that one in there didn't you
0: (laughs) well I'm sorry you know after the 5-0 last week I need to have a bit of fun (laughs) definitely well that's all we got time for now on the game of thrones podcast Um, once again
1: it's been a pleasure Um, don't forget to follow us on our social media social media channels um, instagram game of thrones football podcast uh, twitter goti football and facebook game of thrones football podcast Um, we'll be back next week Um, hopefully phil will be back to join us we have some uh, charitable activities to promote of course Um, it was a pleasure Uh, davide thank you for joining us today
2: Thank you, Jack, thank you everyone uh, for listening. Thank you, gert and thank you, Eric, of course.
1: gert thanks for being back, man. I hope you can make it next week as well, it was a pleasure.
2: Thank you, Jack, Uh, my pleasure, and
3: thank you everyone for uh, listening, and also thanks to uh, Eric and uh, Davide
1: for joining on this podcast. Eric, everyone's favorite Brazilian as usual. Thanks for
0: joining us, man. Thanks, Jack, thanks, Gert, thanks, Davide, and a big thank you to everyone that's listening to us. Uh, Have a great week. Join us again next week
1: for another episode of Game of Thrones. Much to talk about again, I'm sure. See you all next week and enjoy the podcast. Good night. Bye-bye. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. The Football Football Podcast.
0: Podcast.